Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest joined us soon after learning that he was headed into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And earlier this week, the official induction occurred. He helped build the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes Stanley Cup championship team. And he has been a part of two of those with the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. As we welcome Jim Rutherford, how does this sound? He is the only GM in more than 50 years of NHL hockey who has won three or more Stanley Cups and done so with multiple franchises. Jim, congratulations on the big event. Did uh, it lead up to your expectations, including that seven minutes or so that you were allowed uh, to try to squeeze in the zillions of people that you wanted to thank? Yeah, it uh, it met all expectations. They, I mean, they, they, they do this year after year. They do a terrific job with it, but... Certainly that seven-minute uh, period was the toughest uh, seven minutes of my career. I was pretty uh, pretty nervous about uh, how I was going to present it, making sure that I covered as many people as I could because I've had so many people help me get to the Hall of Fame, and I was, uh, I was happy when I got through that speech. John Forslund joined us recently, and along with, I mean, you've read a, an awful lot of nice things about you in the last, you know, year or so especially, uh, and we have many of those nice things to say ourselves, but one thing John added that you can't really find in a history book or, you know, on your Wikipedia page, he said Jim Rutherford was as positive in the worst of times as any hockey person that I have ever met. And, of course, he also thanked you for dragging him to Carolina and continuing his great broadcasting career. But tell us about that part of your story, man. We can read a lot of the numbers, and we know the number of cups, but it ain't easy to be the most positive guy in the building when the, the walls are falling down. How did, how did that become a part of who you are? Well, in, uh, in tough times, you have to be positive or you're not going to work your way out of it. You can sit around and mope about it and listen to everybody, you know, being negative, but you have a much better chance of, uh, of getting, uh, to where you need to get to if you're, if you're positive and, and, and of course determined. And, uh, so that's the approach I've taken over my life and over my career. And, uh, it's worked pretty well for the most part. I knew you would include on your list of thanks both of your late parents. I remember you telling us a story that you were going to be inducted, you know, what, less than 60 minutes from where you were once so young as an aspiring hockey guy that you could not even tie your own skates. So how did, how did you put into words, or how would you put into words, you know, a longer appreciation, I believe you pronounce it Dorothea, your late mom, right, or, and your, your dad, John. Uh, you, you mentioned you all lived paycheck to paycheck, but sometimes they, somehow they found the time to tr drive you around and the money for your equipment. Uh, how do you tell that part of your story? It's not a silver spoon story, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't remember. I, I don't even think that I had new equipment at any time when I was uh, playing youth hockey. Um, that wasn't important to me. It wasn't important to my family. The important part was to share something with the family. And my mother and father figured out a way to get equipment that was certainly good enough for me to play. Uh, but the most important part is they went to every practice and every game and that's where I got my positive attitude. They were always positive. You know, we could, we could lose a game or I could give up a bunch of goals and, and uh, we'd be driving home and my father would figure out a way to talk about uh, 
one or two good saves they had or hmm. something and and they were they were so important. I mean, their children were the most important to them. I had two sisters and they were good to my sisters and but everything was centered around hockey and uh I could never, ever repay my parents or thank them enough for what they did for me. Jim Rutherford is with us, member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. He was a builder in every sense of that term. Two cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins, one cup in 06, of course, with your Carolina Hurricanes. I remember when you got to the point in your speech where I think you started down sort of the Carolina Hurricanes branch of the career tree, Scott Walker was one of the first names out of your mouth. And, and of course, he's a beloved member of this franchise as a former player, but he was not here as long as some others. What makes your relationship with somebody like Scott Walker stand, stand out to such a degree even more than, you know, a decade later? Yeah, he, he kind of came in the second group. You know, I talked about the guys that played on the Stanley Cup team and, uh, of course, and talked about the guys that were there in the original part of the franchise, like Ron Francis, and Gary Roberts, and Glenn Wesley. Yep. But Scott Walker played an important role because he came in at a time where we, we needed to, that leadership and, and bring the team together, and he was such a great team guy. But the thing that, that really stands out to me was, was that Boston series, the playoff series where we eliminated Boston. I think it was New Jersey in the first series in seven games we won in New Jersey, and then we won in Boston in the seventh game. And Scott Walker had a confrontation with Aaron Ward, and, you know, Boston was all up in arms about it. He should have been suspended and whatnot. It really wasn't a suspendable play. Uh, you know, it was part of a hockey play, and it was uh, it was rough, maybe a little bit dirty. But at the same time, the biggest thing that stood out was he got to continue to play and he played in Game 7 in Boston. And, you know, as life goes, yeah. uh, Scott Walker scored the overtime goal. And that, that sticks with me so much um, that I, I wanted to mention him in my speech. Yeah, at a really difficult time in his life and a really tricky time in the history of this Carolina Hurricanes franchise. One of my more memorable moments beyond 2006 as well. Jim Rutherford is joining us now with the Pittsburgh Penguins, of course, eternally associated with the Carolina Hurricanes as well. I don't know if it's fair to turn a brand new Hall of Famer into, you know, in air quotes, a Hall of Fame voter. But Rod Brindamore's name has been mentioned in this neighborhood for a long time. And I believe one of your fellow 2019 inductees, Guy Carboneau, has a resume that some say, you know, hey, wait a minute, doesn't Guy Carboneau's inclusion this year just bolster the case for somebody like Rod Brindamore? I know your thoughts about Rod personally, and you can elaborate on that too if you want, but what about Rod joining you in this exclusive club one day? Well, I don't get a vote, but he certainly has my vote. <laughs> you know, he... He, he has done as much for the Hurricanes uh, franchise as anybody. Um, you know, when, when I traded for him, he came there. Um, he, he still had a broken foot or a broken ankle. and and uh, But, you know, we all got to know Rod Brindamore, how he goes about things, and he started playing probably before he should have. Um, but then he got healthy, he got everything on track, and, and he was a terrific player for the Hurricanes, and now he is is clearly a terrific coach. But what great character, great leadership, great player, uh, certainly a, go a guy that has to be in the conversation about going into the Hall of Fame. 
You mentioned Sidney Crosby, a guy who sometimes hears booze in our neck of the woods, but certainly is one of the most special talents in NHL history. You mentioned that the most special aspect of your career has been working with Sidney Crosby. What has made it that? Well, it's it's Sidney Crosby, and, and you really have to be here and be around him to understand it. But he... He practices every day as if it's the seventh game of the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, it's his work ethic, it's his leadership, and it's about him personally. And I can understand why he gets booed when we're on the road because he's such a great player. But, but at the same time, if you really know him and you get to know him, there's not you know any more caring person. You couldn't find a more caring person. He does so many things for charities. You know, when the, the, these people, 50 or 100 people, are lined up for autographs, um, he can't sign them all, but he always picks out the kids in that crowd. He'll always single them out, pull them aside, make sure he gives them an autograph. It's just uh, He's just a special person and obviously such a great player. You mentioned that the more people told you in your life and career that you could not do things, the more it turned out that it either motivated you or, or propelled you forward in some way so that you did exactly what they said you couldn't do. And I know for decades, it feels like, you know, even with people like me in the media, you have been more of an optimist, more of a, a you can do this if you're, as you said earlier, willing to put in the work. How much at this stage of life, I think you're about 70 now, how often do you get those notes or mentions the way school teachers sometimes say, uh, I didn't understand what you were telling me at the time, but looking back, you know, I'm glad you helped me that way because I've heard stories along those lines with Jim Rutherford, and not only from your former players and coaches, but from people in the media, from fans and, and others you've met, you know, even as neighbors and, and, you know, the other parts of your life that are not necessarily in front of the camera. Yeah, you know, when, when, when you get recognized like I just did this week, it brings everybody back into the fold. And uh, I get all texts and phone calls and emails and everything from people from my past. And it, it felt so good. There was so much love and people recognizing and going back uh, in time and remembering the times and maybe words of advice I had for them or something I did and help out. It, it was such a great feeling. But Going to the point about talking about people saying I couldn't do things, I mean, it started when I was a kid. You know, I yeah. was an undersized kid, and everybody said, you know, you, you, you're you not big enough to play goal. I mean, that, that started right from when I was eight or nine years old. And then as I moved up in, in the playing ranks, you know, you're not big enough to make this team. You're not going to be able to play junior hockey. You're not big enough. And, and then on and on and on, and eventually, you know, I became – a first round draft pick 10th overall in the draft. And then I, I get drafted. Everybody said it was a mistake that he's too small. He can't play in the NHL and on and on and on. And then of course, uh, I'll just give you one small example in Carolina. I mean, uh, lots of people were saying hockey can't work in Carolina. Right. Why are you guys going there? But I can remember maybe a couple of months after I was there, I was at, at a club uh, playing golf and sitting in after having a beer with a bunch of people and some guy comes up to me, pretty prominent person in Raleigh, and said, God, he says, it's nice to meet you, but you won't even be here a year. Wow. This sport will never, never work here. And things like that, just over and over and over, you hear things like that. And you sit there and think, man, you have no idea what you're talking about. We're going to make this work. And, uh, 
And hockey's had a little bit ups and downs as far as getting the number of people in, in Carolina. But they have great fans there. They always have. Uh, winning's important everywhere. And now they have, they really, really have a good team and should have a good team for a long time. And, and uh, you're going to see that building full a lot more than you did in the past. So I'm, I'm glad to be a small part of it, uh, moving the franchise there and building it from the early stage. But the people in Carolina should be proud of what they've done, especially the fans, to support that team even through years where they weren't going to the playoffs. I'm curious, when that prominent person made that comment 20 or so years ago, did you just let it go by, or did you say, I'm not sure, you might want to watch a little longer to see if this hockey thing is going to stick? I always let things go by. I, I, there's, there's no use in talking about it. You're just going to get in an argument yeah. or a debate. So I just say, okay, in my <laughs> mind, I say, that's fine. Uh, You'll, you'll see. Stick around. You'll find out. <laughs> I like that attitude. Hey, as we let you go and congratulate you and thank you for your time, do you still have your house uh, in what wake, the Wakefield part of Raleigh? And, and I, I think your daughter was teaching here for a while in the Triangle, right? My, my daughter still lives there. She loves it. She, she works in the Wake County school system, and uh, we still have our house there. We go back and spend quite a bit of time in the summer. Uh, try to get in and out of there at different times during the winter. But, uh, yep, we, we still have some roots there. I will say that we really like Pittsburgh. Yeah. We've made Pittsburgh our home now. But uh, I think uh, we'll we'll always have a connection to Carolina. And you haven't made any announcements about your future, right? I mean, at 70 years old, you're still chasing cups with the, the Pittsburgh Penguins and, and, and sort of a, it's a, an open-ended time before you turn the page and start playing even more golf, right? I don't even understand why people ask me that question. <laughs> Just keep going, man. Just keep going. Hey, thanks for the time on the David Glenn Show. It's been fun to uh, just occasionally play some golf, but certainly pick your brain on hockey and life and other things. Uh, congratulations on this amazing honor, and thanks for dropping by again here on our show. Thanks a lot, David. Take care. You too. Jim Rutherford, Hockey Hall of Famer, Pittsburgh Penguins general manager, 2006 Stanley Cup champion, Carolina Hurricanes architect, one of only seven general managers in what they call the expansion era with three or more Stanley Cups to his credit and the only one to do so with multiple franchises. The expansion era, again, dates to the 60s, so we're talking about a half century or so. Jim Rutherford in rarefied company there, of course, and in one category all by himself. Really good guy, really good golfer, and one heck of a general manager as well. Jim Rutherford, Hall of Famer, Charles Davis on the NFL, Bud Foster from Virginia Tech, a guy who could be a Hall of Famer in his own right. Back to your calls on the other side. College football, the new rankings, App State's shot at its best season since making the jump to the FBS level. More of your questions and comments on college football, including the ridiculous death threats that had Penn State University police reacting to protect the star quarterback after he was threatened on social media because somebody didn't like how many interceptions he threw against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. In the NFL, I have not only a Christian McCaffrey stat of the day, you'll love this one, anyone licking their wounds over the Panthers' ugly loss to the Falcons or their 5-5 five and five record that has them uncomfortably far from the NFC playoff picture, you, this might 
brighten your day, my Christian McCaffrey stat of the day, and the lingering question of the day is also on the NFL. What team do you see as one of the top Super Bowl contenders right now that you did not see that way back in August? So we're pushing the Patriots and the Saints and some of the other preseason favorites, Vegas and otherwise, off to the side. Most frequent answers, mine was the Baltimore Ravens. Many agree with that. Some are picking the San Francisco 49ers. Still others, the Minnesota Vikings. Those are the leading three vote-getters so far. Ravens, Niners, Vikings. You can jump in with your answer to that question of the day. 1-800-849-2761. The Canes won in Chicago last night. The Hornets are in Brooklyn to face the Nets tonight. And when the L.A. Lakers dancers came out for a halftime performance last night, as LeBron and company built upon what is the best record in the NBA, Lakers now 12-2, and two. those L.A. Lakers dancers, you all know I have a soft spot for them, they were accompanied by four others also wearing dance team attire. One was a former NFL player, one was a tennis superstar, and two were comedians. And let's just say some looked better in Lakers dance team attire than some others. A couple were pretty fit athletes and kind of blended right in. One male, one female. The other two guys, not so much, but they wore the attire and they tried the dances. That was at halftime last night in L.A. The two most interesting things that happened in the association last night with more of your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761, next on The David Glenn Show. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this, this is everything open, man. We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day <laughs> and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We do have lines open for the first time in a long time. A Hall of Fame caliber defensive coordinator, Bud Foster, as he is stepping into retirement at the end of this season. The Hokies defensive coordinator. Remember, that team still has a chance to play for the ACC title. They have Pitt this week. They have UVA and Charlottesville next week. A lot of teams still alive on that part of the bracket. Bud Foster in the books, Charles Davis on the NFL, Jim Rutherford, the Hockey Hall of Famer. You can jump in on the NFL question of the day or the college football headlines of the day. Hurricanes won last night. We'll see you at PNC Arena tomorrow night as they host the Philadelphia Flyers. The Hornets are off to a 6-8 and eight start, but they are more interesting than anticipated. They're at Brooklyn tonight. The NFL question of the day is this, and I'll give you the Christian McCaffrey stat of the day that I promised as well, perhaps to turn your Panthers' frown upside down. Question first, what team do you see as one of the top Super Bowl contenders right now that you did not see that way three months ago back in August? We're pushing the preseason favorites to the side, Patriots, Saints, and otherwise. I mentioned the Lamar Jackson-led Baltimore Ravens. Why? The Ravens are one of only three teams now in the top ten in defense and offense, joining the Saints and the Vikings in that category. The Patriots are very close as well. But even more so, the Lamar Jackson that was not good enough to lead the Ravens to a playoff victory at the end of last year, his rookie season, after his time with the Louisville Cardinals in the ACC. That guy has gotten that much better as a passer. He still has those famously dangerous legs. That combination, MVP candidate Lamar Jackson, 
along with the Ravens playing better defense, along with their performances head-to-head -head against some of the other best teams in the NFL, average margin of victory over Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, Tom Brady and the Patriots, and Deshaun Watson of the Texans. All three teams were dominated by the Ravens. They were outscored by an average of about 22 points. And it was not just Lamar doing his thing. It was the Ravens' defense keeping the Seahawks, the Patriots, and the Texans to an average of seven points per game. John Harbaugh's team is on the best role in the NFL, as Charles Davis of Fox mentioned earlier. And they're my answer to the question of the day. What team do you see as one of the very top Super Bowl contenders right now that you did not see that way back in August? You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. The Penn State death threats story also brings to mind some of the best audio that we found in the last 24 hours. Darren Vaught, please cue up the Penn State head football coach, James Franklin. We mentioned earlier today the story of the Penn State quarterback who got enough death threats and other vul vulgar messages on his social media accounts after the Nittany Lions. Remember, it had been a great season, a lot to celebrate. And then the first time they lose at Minnesota, that was about a week and a half ago at this point, it got so bad on the quarterback. This is the, one of the star players, Sean Clifford, who did not have a great game at Minnesota. It got so bad on his social media accounts that he deleted them, and the authorities were alerted so that Penn State University police had to get involved. So it's a great year overall. Sean Clifford's a part of that success. First time something goes wrong, they're – threatening him with death on social media because he threw some interceptions. I gave my two cents on how insane that is, how just as a human being, when you see something that is outrageous, unacceptable, lawless, extreme, ridiculous, indefensible behavior, don't normalize it. Don't tolerate it. Don't let your drunk, idiotic buddy tweet a death threat. Some people do that stuff seriously and are dangerous, Others are doing it because they're drunk or goofy or stupid or not thinking, or maybe they're just so narcissistic that they're mad that their favorite team lost and they need to lash out at somebody. What an interesting world it is that those who actually accomplish things, Sean Clifford of the Penn State Nittany Lions, are on the receiving end at a moment of difficulty for them. They're more invested than you are as fans. I find it fascinating that fellow human beings can actually see that as an appropriate time, you know, from grandma's basement, as the saying goes, on Twitter or other social media, you who've done nothing that we're aware of to advance any great cause, football team or otherwise, you who may have little to no success in your own life to celebrate, are going to attack somebody who actually has accomplished things because he had a bad game. And because your feelings are hurt that your favorite team lost. Or maybe, you know, you lost at the betting window in Vegas because the Nittany Lions couldn't beat the Golden Gophers in Minnesota. I thought James Franklin, the Penn State head coach, had some words of wisdom along these lines. I say when you see such things, don't tolerate it. Don't be polite. Don't make excuses for your friends when they're at their worst. Say something. Do something. Get in the way. Throw yourself into the equation. Being polite and civil and live and let live is often a great idea. In fact, it's usually the great idea. Every once in a while, being silent in the face of such ridiculousness and lawlessness and stupidity 
It's the wrong way to go. Speak up. Act out. Draw lines. Enforce them. Try to make the world a little better place in your own little, perhaps, way. James Franklin saw what happened in that instance with his quarterback as a microcosm of what's happening in American society today. This is what he said to the media earlier this week. The last thing I want to do is get into other things besides football right now. But you see a lot of things that are behaviors in our society now that we accept that I don't know why we're accepting. You know, you, you see some things from a violence perspective. You see some things that people in positions of how they're conducting themselves. Mm, Just a lot of there. things that we're accepting in our society that we would never have accepted before. The things that, that parents have to worry about kids going to school, elementary schools, and it's just concerning. Obviously, football is just a very, very small piece, but I do think it's a microcosm of a lot of other issues that show up in our society. And, and I'm not sure why we accept it or I'm not sure why we think it's okay, whether you've had, you know, 14 Budweiser's or not. I don't, I don't see why it's okay or acceptable. We shouldn't accept it, and it's not okay. And you shouldn't be silent. That's the bottom line. I've known James Franklin since he was an assistant coach with the Maryland Terrapins back when Maryland was a member of the ACC. I knew then, kind of like I've told the story about Dabo Sweeney. I didn't know where Dabo's career was going to go. I can't tell you that I knew James Franklin's career was going to go this way either. But I can tell you that they stood out as among the most exceptional assistant coaches I ever interviewed. I wish I was smart enough to have a crystal ball. Wow, those are two incredibly successful guys who 20 years ago nobody knew their names. And yet, if I had made a list, who are the most impressive assistant coaches that you occasionally talk to from, you know, 2000 to 2010 without necessarily forecasting who's going to be a head coach someday or who's going to win national championships someday? On my short list, I should have sold this to athletic directors, this short list. Dabo Sweeney of Clemson would have been on it, a no-name wide receivers coach back then. And James Franklin would have been on it. He wasn't even a coordinator at that point yet. So he's gone on to not quite Dabo-level success, but not far from it. He's, he made Vanderbilt a really good program as a head coach. He has made, made Penn State a very consistent winner. And they're not out of the mix yet, actually, for the college football playoff this year. And as with Dabo and some others that have struck me over the years, they're not only smart about football things, you can tell why recruits want to play for them. And they're men who usually, I don't agree with both on everything they've ever said about societal things or those things beyond the gridiron, but they always make sense. They always come from a place of intelligence and wisdom and experience. They don't have to always agree with their final conclusions, but they make a good faith effort to teach people the right way, to stand up for what's right. And what he's talking about there is exactly right. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. And you shouldn't be silent. When you see outrageous, unacceptable, lawless stuff in sports or otherwise, speak up. The NFL commissioner made an example of Miles Garrett because even by the violent standards of the NFL, using a helmet as a weapon is extreme. It's outrageous. It's lawless. It's unacceptable. So Miles Garrett gets the longest suspension for a single on-field incident in the history of the NFL. That's how it works in sports. That's how it works in society. The more extreme the wrong, usually, the bigger the penalty. 
don't tolerate the Houston Astros blatant cheating on their way to their only World Series title. Rob Manfred, MLB commissioner, has to show how much he cares. He has to use the rule book, whatever baseball allows in terms of penalties, to make an example of the Houston Astros, assuming that the evidence that comes out later matches the evidence that has come out so far, which makes the Astros look like they've been caught with their hand in the proverbial cookie jar. If you're not going to penalize those who cheat the most lawless, outrageous people of all on purpose, this is not an accident. I'm okay sometimes with giving people the benefit of the doubt when they screw up accidentally. We all do that. The Astros were cheating on purpose in violations of crystal, cruel, clister, crystal clear rules on sign stealing with the use of electronic equipment. I mean, when they, when they were nervous that someone had figured them out, they actually unplugged the television monitor in the tunnel near home plate, thinking that they were about to get caught. I mean, this is not a murky rule. This is not a misinterpretation. I cheated on purpose against a rule that had been clarified that very year by the Major League Baseball commissioner. As a society, you have to react this way to the most extreme, outrageous, lawless wrongdoings. As an NFL commissioner, you have to. As a Major League Baseball commissioner, you have to. I'm glad that James Franklin, as a football coach, is making those same sorts of statements. Death threats versus athletes on social media are not okay. Pathological liars in higher office, not okay. I can't believe the number of people who sell their souls and tolerate or normalize such extreme, outrageous, lawless behavior. It's not okay. And if you're silent and polite in most contexts in life, good for you. If you're silent and polite in these kinds of contexts, shame on you. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. You know the guy, this is a true story. The same dude who ended up getting caught for sending, you know, pipe bombs to media members and politicians uh, and some broadcasters. The same dude who got caught for that had posted death threats on his social media accounts. And Twitter and Instagram and others said, well, yeah, that sounds kind of threatening and uh, it doesn't sound like somebody I would want to be friends with. Uh, but this clown, who's since been caught... Uh, the same dude that ended up trying to kill people by sending pipe bombs through the mail to members of the media and members of Congress and members, uh, various broadcasters. That dude was doing what these alleged Penn State fans were doing. He started by sending death threats on social media. Did enough people just shrug their shoulders? I guess that's just that's just the way he's he's just getting it out of his system with his death threats. Well, you know, sometimes those nut jobs, those angry, hateful people, they have to be taken seriously rather than saying, oh, as, as James Franklin said, you know, I don't care if you've had 14 Budweiser's. That kind of nastiness is coming from somewhere. And I think you're being a better friend if you call your friend out on a bad idea rather than being the silent enabler who says it's just not my place. You can be better. You should be better. If not, shame on you. 1-800-849-2761. More college football, including App State's shot at its best season since it made the jump to the FBS level. When I think of others in our state, I know off the top of my head, without even asking ECU Pirates football fans, what is the greatest season in the history of your time at the FBS level, which goes back like a century. I know exactly what it is. 
I think I know what most, say, Wake Forest fans would say. What's the greatest season in the history of Wake Forest football? I don't think that one would be unanimous. I think ECU would be close to unanimous. Wake might be a little divided, but I think I know what the number one vote-getter would be. With App State, it's a little trickier because they've only been FBS for a handful of years. I mean, three-time FCS national champion is kind of hard to beat. But since their jump to the FBS, I believe the current season, led by Eli Drinkwitz, but certainly thanks to the foundation that Louisville coach Scott Satterfield left behind with what he built in Boone, I believe the current App State season can end up as the greatest season at the FBS level in the history of Mountaineers football. Again, that sounds more grandiose than it actually is. They've only been an FBS member for less than a decade, but they've won three straight Sun Belt championships. I mean, that's pretty good stuff already at the FBS level. This season has a chance to be even more spectacular than that, and I was reminded by last night's committee rankings. The Christian McCaffrey stat of the day, I will give you on the other side. You can jump in on the NFL question of the day. What team do you see as a top Super Bowl contender right now that you did not see that way back in August? More of you agree with me. The Baltimore Ravens are the top vote-getter. The 49ers and the Vikings are for now the silver and the bronze runners up you can be next on college basketball as well the Wolfpack got another win last night the Tar Heels host Elon tonight and Duke plays Cal tomorrow night the number one Blue Devils will face either Georgetown or Texas on Friday hockey is on our mind Canes won last night they host the Flyers tomorrow night 1-800-849-2761 and I will also tell you who was out there with the LA Lakers dance team last night an all-time great from the tennis world, an all-time great from the NFL world, were among those wearing the dance team's attire and actually performing along with the choreography. Those answers and your phone calls are next on The David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? H how does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I, I hope it's not awkward. Um, <laughs> you know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him, no hands. I think he's so. a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Last call for phone calls. Email question, DG, what, you, what will you be watching tonight and moving forward as Roy Williams Tar Heels take the court in tonight's case against the Elon Phoenix? I will answer that question. I did promise a Christian McCaffrey stat of the day ready for this. If we had more time, I'd turn it into a trivia prize. There are only three NFL players who have more than 2,000 career rushing yards and more than 2,000 career receiving yards through their first three seasons in the NFL. And McCaffrey obviously isn't even all the way through his third. There are only two others in the history of the league. Obviously, it's a reflection that he is a running back, but one heck of a receiver out of the backfield. Care to take any guesses there, Darren Vaught? We don't have enough time for many phone callers. When you think dual threat running back, of course you think Christian McCaffrey. Of course. Um, Marshall Falk crosses my mind. Good guess, but not there. Okay. I wasn't I sure I if he Ladanian, had it early in his career. I thought LaDainian Tomlinson as well, but also not there. Yeah, you did have to be utilized a lot right out of the gate yeah, to so start your NFL this, career. Yeah, so maybe this makes it have a more recent lean. 
Um, There's one guy from the San Francisco 49ers, more from my early days as an NFL fan. I'm trying to put your age together with when he was with the Niners. And then there's an incredibly famous Southeastern Conference superstar running back who went on to feats of Herculean strength okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. at the Inclu- NFL level. Including maybe some post-football career MMA That is bouts. correct. Herschel Walker. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey joined Herschel Walker, and then my 49ers example was Roger Craig. Is that on your radar? Yeah, I know the name. Uh, I can't say I'm I'm as familiar to where it would jump up immediately when something like this comes to mind. All those Bill Walsh-style offenses that were way ahead of their time with Joe Montana and others leading the way, Roger Craig was the dual-threat running back then, the way Christian McCaffrey is one of those dual-threat running backs now. 1-800-849-2761. When the L.A. Lakers dancers came out for the halftime performance last night, as the Lakers were improving the best record in the NBA, they're now 12-2. and The Lakers got it done last night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Quick side note, Lamar or LeBron James became the first NBA player ever to post a triple-double against every team in the league, meaning the 30-team version of the NBA. So LeBron last night had 25 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. And the only team, I didn't even know this at the time, but the only team that LeBron had not done that against in his career was the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now LeBron has that on his resume as well, so he became the first to fit that description in NBA history. By the way, Russell Westbrook, now with the Houston Rockets, also lacks one and only one franchise where he has put together that kind of number combination. So, of course, he doesn't have the Thunder on that list because he hasn't played against the Thunder. Uh, I'm trying to think of when he gets that opportunity now that he's a member of the Rockets. But that's how that story unfolded last night with LeBron making more history and the Lakers improving to 12 and two at the expense of the Oklahoma City Thunder we'll see when Russell Westbrook joins LeBron James as the only guys to pull that feat against all 30 NBA teams meanwhile as the Lakers dancers came out for a halftime performance last night I mean the Lakers dancers aren't they nearly as famous as this at this point as say the Cowboys cheerleaders of my childhood and even today I would think they're up there most famous dance and cheerleader teams in, in American sports history, wouldn't the Lakers be up there? Yeah, they're in the conversation. I think it starts with, with the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, right? I mean, just they've had their own TV show. And- yeah. I mean, I'm sure some are going to have their favorite college examples. But sticking to the pros, the Lakers, the, the Dallas Cowboys and others have that as part of their histories. Well, when the Lakers dancers came out last night, you may have to help me with these comedians because I, I don't. I knew who James Corden was, kind of a chunky comedian TV guy, right? Yeah, he, he's got a late night show. He's British, um, so the accent funny. is is distinctive. He's he's funny. He's funny in the way that you know, chubby guys poke on themselves for being funny. It's, not it's the, a little bit low hanging fruit, but not I, the kind I, of guy funny. that you. If in your mind's eye, would want to picture in an L.A. Lakers dance team <laughs> no, definitely not. outfit. Well, he was in sort of, kind of one last night. So James Corden comes out with the Lakers dancers. A guy named Ian Carmel, also a supersized comedian, more of a Chris Farley type build. 
Okay. I can't say I, I know Ian Carmel. Either Carmel or Carmel. I'm not sure. I can't say I know who that the is. The other two I recognized. As, as the Lakers dancers were going through their choreography, this was not just like a cameo where you wave to the fans. This was they did the routine with the Lakers dancers. Now, the two supersized comedians were there really for comedic effect. The other two, I thought, actually got jiggy with it in a pretty good way. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski, formerly of the New England Patriots, some call him one of the great tight ends of all time, was shaking his tight end with the Lakers dancers last night and really keeping up with the rhythm. Meanwhile, the GOAT herself, Serena Williams, was out there with the L.A. Da- Lakers dancers, and she ha- like they gave the guys kind of sort of attire that blended the colors with the Lakers dancers. Serena like had the, the, the gear. She blended right in. And she was on time in every way. So, Serena fans, I know many of you love her on and off the court, if you know what I'm saying. Check out the dance routine from the Lakers' victory last night. Meanwhile, the other most interesting story from the NBA last night, Carmelo Anthony's return did not go well. He is a 10-time NBA All-Star. He did play for the Portland Blazers, who are out to a really rough start compared to expectations. He was a very recent roster addition. He started, I think he had like 12 points or so. He was not good. He had a game worst for either side, like minus 20 in the plus minus. He did not look like he belonged. I'm not drawing any conclusions. I'm happy that he gets another opportunity in his mid-30s. He is a 10-time NBA All-Star, but his 12 months away from NBA action definitely led to some of the rust that you saw last night. We'll see if that changes moving forward. Hornets at the Brooklyn Nets tonight. TV picks and final thoughts as we come down the stretch next. Roy Williams, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Thanks to legends for dropping by. Bud Foster of Virginia Tech, Charles Davis of Fox, and Hall of Famer Jim Rutherford from the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Tar Heels host Elon tonight. I will be watching who helps Cole Anthony and Garrison Brooks. Other TV options, Hornets at the Nets and other NBA. A lot more college basketball, some college football, maction, if you will. Enjoy the games. We hope to see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.